Adventures in time and space told in future tense. All radio is dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome. I'm Kyle. I'm Brad. And risen from the coffin, we are the Nosferadus. <laughs> that gets a little weirder every time I do it. Nice. So, Bradley. Uh, oh, what? <laughs> my, using my full name. <laughs> Why don't you tell the folks at home or on the road, wherever they might be listening to their podcasts, mm. what are we talking about today? One of my absolute all-time all-timers the texas chainsaw massacre the texas chainsaw massacre the 1974 world acclaimed independent masterpiece that is toby hooper's texas chainsaw massacre (laughs) and uh so yeah so we're talking about texas chainsaw massacre um Sorry for those of you that might have been looking forward to Innocent Blood. Uh, we had a technical difficulty. <laughs> so we'll get to it. We We're going to get on. to We're going to get to it. Yep. Next one. Next episode. So, yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre comes out in 1974, produced and directed and co-written by co-written. Mr. Toby Hooper. Um, Toby Hooper, um, I mean, if somehow you don't know him from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you might know him from... The Fun House, Poltergeist, Life Force, mm-hmm. Invaders from Mars, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, Night Terrors, <laughs> The Mangler, The Toolbox Murders. Uh, he was a di- one of the directors that worked on John Carpenter's Body Bags. He directed mm-hmm. the TV movie Salem's Lot and his most recent effort, 2013's uh, Gin. So, I mean, and also he even directed Billy Idol's Dancing With Myself music video. That I didn't know. (laughs) That's cool. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you're talking about, you know, I I think a lot of people, they think of Hitchcock, they think of John Carpenter, they think of Wes Craven. Uh, I find that when you hear, like, when you hear conversations you see you know documentary uh episodes where they got the talking heads doing the little tidbits about the movies um john carpenter Wes craven alfred hitchcock they get mentioned as like these big prolific horror makers and toby hooper like i feel like he gets shortchanged he doesn't get as much credit for like the breadth of work that he actually has done. I mean, I mentioned the big stuff. He had other stuff, but, you know, I mean, you talk about some of these, you know, you're talking about Salem's Lot, you're talking about Poltergeist Life Force, you know, uh, besides two of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, um, this guy was like hardcore horror. You know, he brought it every chance he could. He, he definitely did. Um, However, you just went down the resume, and then you mentioned 
Wes Craven and John Carpenter. Now, John Carpenter, um, I would put John Carpenter's resume against anyone. Yeah. Um, Hitchcock, too. I mean, I mean, it's Alfred Hitchcock. But I do agree that he doesn't necessarily get mentioned among those guys, the George Romero's and the John Carpenter's and the Wes Craven's. He doesn't get mentioned that much um, unless you're directly referencing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, he's not. He's maybe not known for that whole body of work as much as this movie almost just overshadows the rest of his resume. Yeah. Whereas even though John Carpenter has Halloween, he has a lot more behind it that you could be like, well, the thing. Yeah. So John Carpenter can die with his legacy being the thing, you know what I mean? Like that. And that's awesome. So does Toby Hooper have that on his resume? I, I don't know if he has it to that kind of level. I think, unfortunately, I think one of the big things, um, and you see it all the time. I've been guilty of it in the past. Uh, Topi Hooper, Topi Hooper, (laughs) Jesus, it's been a long day. Topi Hooper does not get the credit for Poltergeist that he should, unfortunately. Well, because who gets the credit? Steven Spielberg, because Steven Spielberg Spielberg wrote the script and produced it. But Kyle, Kyle. But Kyle, I okay, and I don't. We don't have to argue about Poltergeist. Um, but the other side of that, and why maybe Steven Spielberg deserved, or sorry, gets a lot of the credit for that movie, is because it looks like a Spielberg movie. Yeah, yeah, it has a. a I mean, big I feel mean, it. it has a exactly, and that's. That's Spielberg. I mean, that's what he brings to a picture. It feels big. Yeah. Like it feels like an event. It feels big. And that's what and that's what um, Spielberg did for Poltergeist, even though Toby Huber directed it. Um, so we talk about visions all the time, stuff like that. I don't know. Is that more Spielberg? Yeah. I mean, you could as say far that- as like. When it comes to yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that's like Toby Hooper's brainchild. You know, him and him and, and the Kim co-writer Hankel. Kim Henkel. That was their creation from start yep. to finish. Whereas, yes, in yep. like a in Poltergeist, Toby Hooper had the the skill and had the eye to create the the pictures. Um, but yeah, when, when you say, okay, well, but where did the whole thing originate? It originated Mm. in Spielberg's mind, you know, he was the one that put pen to paper and, and laid out the, the characters and the settings and, you know, okay, this is when the little woman Tangina, uh, you know, appears in their lives and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, However, visually, Toby Hooper on Poltergeist and even Life Force does an amazing visual job directing those films. He does, and 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 I don't want to. I, I, I love Toby Hooper. I don't want to come off like you know. I'm just saying that 
you know, as much as I love this movie and Texas Chainsaw 2 is wild. So, like, <laughs> if for anybody out there who hasn't watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, that's a that's a crazy movie. Um, and he did a great and they did a great job there. So um, I just think in the the overall. Like at the Mount Rushmore of horror directors. You know, as much as I love Toby Hooper and I love this movie, this movie it was number four on my all-time list. So yeah. above Hitchcock, above Wes Craven, you know. So Toby Hooper's best work was uh, what you said, a masterpiece. Yeah. It was an absolute masterpiece. But what I'm saying is where is that second movie that you go that's also a masterpiece? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And that was that was all Toby Hooper. That's all. Yeah, you know, Wes Wes Craven had that in Scream, obviously, right? Yeah, and Wes Craven, he... Kevin Williamson, but it was it was Wes Craven, like yeah. When you yeah, mentioned Wes Craven, Craven, you're talking about Nightmare on Elm Street. You're talking about Scream. You're talking about Hills Have Eyes. You know, he's got Hills a Have series. Eyes, Last House on the Left. Yeah, like, he's got a series yeah, of hits. Yeah, people under the stairs. Like, there's just a lot there. So yeah. there's a there's a lot of meat on those bones. <laughs> yes, yes, there <laughs> are. <laughs> <laughs> he was a he was a, a gargantuan man. <laughs> <laughs> so they produced the the movie on like a $140,000 budget. Um, Which went, kept going up, by the way. I think what they secured originally was like 60 grand. Yeah. And it ballooned to a hundred and yeah, then ballooned it, ultimately to a hundred. It escalated. And about, uh, from my understanding, about half of that is in raw meat. <laughs> they had to keep buying mm-hmm. fresh raw meat and head yeah. cheese. Head cheese. <laughs> Which was apparently, according to Kim Henkel, now, they had a working title of Leatherface. Yep. However, Kim Henkel at least referred to it as Head Cheese. Yeah. (laughs) And when they finished, they were like, he was like, Head Cheese is finished. Which, to be honest, I mean, even with the title Head Cheese, it might have still done just as well. (laughs) I think people would have been intrigued. <laughs> like, hey, yeah, hey, I don't hey, know. Honey, to... You want to go to the drive-in, see that new flick, Head Cheese? <laughs> I think it's a porn. You're night. right. It has it has a similar <laughs> ring to it. You're right. Yep. Let's so, but yeah, the the cast were pretty much unknown. Uh, you know, Texas actors. You know, a lot of these people had been doing. Um, community theater, you know, and, and small, uh, like local television stuff. Um, but probably the most well-known out of the cast, uh, is going to be Marilyn Burns as Sally. She's the main character. Um, the, the final girl, um, you got Paul Partain as her, uh, described as her invalid brother, invalid brother, yeah. um, Franklin, who I'll tell you. In a lot of horror movies, there is at least, even in the Mm. best horror movies, there is at least one person that when they get murdered, you want to stand up and give a standing ovation for the killer because you are so glad that person is now dead. 
And I'm sorry, I know he's in a wheelchair, but Franklin, when he gets the chainsaw to the face, inside of me, I just want to go, yes! <laughs> well, you you and 99% of the horror fans out there, so you are on the right side of that. There's a butt coming. Okay. But What's your big butt? I watch like I I watch this movie all the time. This is just one of my movies I watch all the time. I have not. I I get it. He's annoying when he's like you know when they go looking through the house right yeah, he's the whining. old house and he's whining that that they're all going upstairs. He can't go upstairs, and uh, they kind of left him by himself. And he goes, <gasps> <laughs> and he's he's making these sounds, and he's just like so. Um, he's acting like a six-year-old. He's he's yeah. he's you know having a tantrum basically. Yeah. So I get it. However, he is in a wheelchair, and I think I think in some ways they treated him like he was stupid, but he's not stupid. He's just in a wheelchair. Yeah, I mean they do. They do. They kind call of... him the invalid, bro- an invalid brother, but they don't establish that he's anything other than a maybe annoying to most people and in a wheelchair. Yeah, but yes. they treat like the way that they like he's like treated in the movie. It makes you feel like they treat him like he's an idiot. Well, and one of and the... maybe it's because of those tantrums that he throws. You know. You know yeah, know. I think. I think one of the vibes you get from him, and it's not, it's not explicit, but I think one of the vibes you get from him is for some reason, because of his kind of infantile behavior, you immediately get the sense that maybe over the years he has, has been a burden, not because he's in a wheelchair, but because he leverages with his sister that he's in a wheelchair. You know, that, that he, you get the, from that infantile behavior that like, oh, I thought he's you were kind of a handful. You know, he's kind of a handful and maybe the friends wish that Sally would just like leave him home <laughs> when she comes to hang out. <laughs> but they can never say that because he. Exactly. Because Sally would that. probably fucking blow a fuse oh, and be absolutely. like, absolutely not. My brother comes with me. Right. You know, so now I feel like Franklin got in that chair because of some childhood accident. Yeah, probably probably Sally's fault. (laughs) Well, it might be Um, because they're about the same age. So, you know, you you don't know. Um, I'm thinking it's some kind of maybe even farming accident because when they're driving through, so if we're going, you're going through the movie and they're driving through and Franklin is in the back of the van and he's pointing out, you know, the, the slaughterhouse and he's like, Oh, Hey, you know, our, our grandfather used to take our cattle there. Um, we got an uncle that works in the slaughterhouse, you know, they're from Texas. They're originally from this area and they used to like come and stay there. Yeah, Yeah. They're Texas kids. Right. So, um, but, um, but yeah, so I, he's pointing all this stuff out and, um, oh, I kind of lost my train of thought there. Cause you, 
Um, <laughs> well, that that. But no, he's he's. I think so. I so I think he's pointing this stuff out because he grew up on a farm, and maybe like kicked by a mule, fell off a tractor. Right? I don't know. You kind of have that. Little feeling. old Franklin and, got kicked by a mule. <laughs> right, and and you know. So, like, he got in the chair early, and he's just re- and he's resentful of him being in the chair and Sally not being in the chair. Yeah. So maybe she was involved in some way. Maybe he pushed her out of the way of a horse or something and got and, kicked by a horse. I don't, know, something kid, like that. Yeah, country kids they dare each other to do shit. Right, right, or something bad. like that. Maybe she dared him to jump off something into the water and he hit a rock or something. And um, so he's resentful. And that influenced his ability to mature. Yeah. You know, and so he's still kind of stuck where he was when he was in the accident as far as his maturity level. And I think maybe Sally knows that. Yeah. You know, and I think that's why maybe she gives Franklin more of a break. But, you know, as you get to know Franklin in the back of the van, because he does most of the talking. Um. He's intelligent. He's oh, yeah. talking he, to the guy and he's he knows talking about, about all kinds like, of stuff. And... Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and he's, so I, I just think that that's Franklin's problem. I think he's just resentful and he's stuck back where, you know, he had the accident. And I think maybe people should just kind of give Franklin a little bit of a break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that fair? Hey, 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 that's, that's fair. That's fair. You know, we don't have to live in that chair. He does. <laughs> he does. At the end of the day, he's in the chair. Right. And and so, to be honest, I mean, that in every one of the films where you see a horror film with somebody in a wheelchair, they are unfortunately... I would, I would love to see... I was going to say easy pickings. I would love to see one film, and maybe, maybe a listener can tell us if there's a film out there, where the person in the can. chair like somehow is able to like turn the tables and and be the more oh, there isn't one. capable <laughs> one and and get away sure. um but yeah it always seems the person in the chair seems to get the the uh raw end of the deal yeah uh and so then the though they're the of the the group in the van in the beginning of the film they're the two kind of most well known they're like the main characters as it were and then, of mm-hmm. course, you get uh, once they bring in uh, the family. Now they don't have a name in the first one, but eventually they become the Sawyer family. Once they right. bring them in, then you get uh, the hitchhiker, played by Edwin yep. Neal. Uh, you get uh, the old man, who is a, a cult favorite character. Apparently, he's very big in France. I don't know what oh. that is, but apparently, the French love the old man. Um, that's Jim Sidow. Uh, under a ton of makeup. Well, and... he's not the uh, no, no, no. That, that's not Jim Sidow. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Uh, Jim, Jim Sidow is Jim's... like the dad. You're right. He's he's the cook. Right. And yeah, and there's Jim, the other John, Dugan. The John Dugan. John Dugan is is the old man. Right. Um. So yeah, Jim Sidow is is fucking fantastic. Is it Sidow or Sidow? I say Sidow. I don't know. It looks like Sidow. <laughs> like Max von Sydow. Yeah, but I, I don't think he has an E in there, does he? I think so. I think he does. I don't know. Maybe somebody I'm gonna can tell look. us. I'm going to look. No, well, this isn't a call-in show, Kyle, so we're going to have to look it up, bud. Well, they can email us, nosferadudes at gmail.com. You want them to email us after the show is already over? 
Good lord. And then, of course, you have Gunnar Hansen as the immortal Leatherface. <laughs> oh, no, he has a Y. Yeah, see, I told you. Oh, okay. I yeah. bet you it's Sido. Hmm. So, let's get into... Probably, probably should look that up. <laughs> let's get into yeah. a little bit um, talking about at least one of the key elements to this. And we're going to tie this into the inspirations for the movie. One of the mm. key elements of this is the sort of pseudo-docudrama feel to it. That... Right. That they yes. get it because they, they literally started off with John Larroquette, John Larroquette of Night Court fame. Uh, <laughs> uh, what was his name? Max Fielding on Night Court. And uh, he... Yeah. He does the, the voiceover narration in the beginning where he talks about that these are the events. You might know it by heart. I don't remember it by heart. Um, but that these are the events that transpired and what happened yeah. to Sally and her invalid brother, five Franklin. young, five young kids traveling. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they and, would have no idea the kind of horrors and macabre that would befall them that afternoon. Like it was, yeah, yeah it's just brilliant and opening. He, of course, infamously, almost every horror fan knows that he did it for some weed. He got paid yes, in weed did. to do the That's voiceover. Right. Mm-hmm. And but it sets up, and that mixed with the raw filming style that Toby Hooper used, mm. um, that kind of guerrilla style. What what docu- it made it grittier, more real. The like, style that documentarians like, yeah. use, like they didn't use really. Like he he has. If you watch the film, there aren't necessarily, especially. Out, outdoors there aren't a lot of like set up established shots there's a few there's like some established shots in the uh dining room you know where they have the shot from behind sally's perspective down the table um they have certain things but the rest of it has this very handheld documentary style feel feel but they're not running around with just like a cam card. Like, it's not like yeah. that. It's not like Blair Witch. Right. Right. Okay. It's, but, it, yeah. it's with the way, you know, you, in movies prior to this, you know, we're coming out of the era of the 60s. You would still get that if they're all in a van, you know, that's like probably like a fake background. And they're just like mm-hmm. shaking the van. Yeah, it's like two grips shaking the van. You know, and everybody kind of just rocking back and forth. This, you yep. can tell the camera is in the van with yep. them. And it's sort mm-hmm. of moving around, for you know, focusing on this person and then this person. A lot of cuts, a lot of editing between shots of all wow. the different people inside that little van. But they're it's... really driving down the road in the yep. hot Texas summer. Yeah, they filmed this when, uh, when it was supposed to take place it yeah. was you know it was august in texas so 
Yeah, it's yeah. like 110 degrees outside. And you feel that. That was one of that was kind of one of my notes. That's what I that's part of what I love about the movie too is like we yeah, I talk about it uh, all the time is is atmosphere and the kind of atmosphere that's being set. This is a very atmospheric movie. So, especially in the beginning. And it starts with that shot of the rotting corpse tied by wire to the to the to the headstone or the monument um and and it's just baking in the hot texas sun and then he shoots from the road so that you see the steam or the the heat heat coming off the pavement yep it's coming off it's coming off the blacktop and everybody in the van is sweaty like you like you just man like you just feel it like i was we talked about in in the exorcist and the that end uh, scene where it everything in the room is so cold like you they really made you feel that cold and it, and he does the same thing here and that's part of how he builds the atmosphere of this movie it's gritty it's raw he's making you feel what they're feeling he's trying to put you in that movie and it's brilliantly done and um yeah so anyway go ahead sorry no no that that's i that's what i want to the kind of stuff i want to talk about um, so part of how they get to making this feel so real is from the very kind of kernel of the idea, um, which is they, they want to make a film. They want to make a film about a killer cannibals. They want to make something that's, uh, transgressive. And so, um, a couple of things that kind of fascinated Toby Hooper and Kim Kim Henkel. Um, the very first one, which kind of everybody knows, everybody knows that the primary inspiration for Leatherface, especially, is the serial killer Ed Gein. Mm-hmm. Um, Ed Gein from Plainfield, Wisconsin, uh, known as the Plainfield Ghoul. Um, Ed Gein was an odd bird. He had a speech impediment, so uh, somewhat similar to Leatherface. You know, the the um, Leatherface has a complete lack of ability to communicate. Ed Gein could talk, but he had a, a, a heavy speech impediment that made it hard to understand him. Mm-hmm. Um, Ed Gein was uh, first sexually aroused by a bloody hog carcass with its guts spilling out. That That's how he got his first woody. So <laughs> not a good start, not a good way to start. Right, right. He had a, uh, an overbearing mother, Augusta, who kept him and his brothers isolated on their farm in Wisconsin and enforced a strict religious household. Um, that's part of why also Ed Gein is part of the inspiration for Alfred Hitchcock's uh, Norman Bates in Psycho is mm. that relationship with the mother and dressing right. up as the mother. Um, right. Whereas... Leatherface is actually closer to the reality of Ed Gein, who didn't dress up as his mother, but he wore women's skins to be more like his mother. Um, Ed Gein very possibly bludgeoned his brother to death and used a fire to cover it up so that he would have his mother all to himself. And Ed Gein... uh, to go a little further into this, he uh, he basically got caught 
because of a certain woman, a sheriff's deputy's mother, going missing from her hardware store business. Mm-hmm. And uh, her name was Bernice Worden. And her son, the sheriff's deputy, immediately remembered that, like, Ed Gein had been coming down to the hardware store a lot more than he usually does and was kind of hanging about. And that struck him that, like, he immediately, the second he realized his mother was gone and under a mysterious circumstance, he thought, we need to go talk to Ed. Mm. And they went and they investigated, they they picked Ed up, and then they had to bust into the house. They broke in through the summer kitchen in the back of the house. And as the deputies were going in, one of the deputies bumped into something. It was, it was completely dark in the house, because not only uh, was it just a kind of a, a, a darker enclosed farmhouse, but all the windows were covered. And uh, especially at uh, the evening early evening hours when i think they were going in they had to just use flashlights or lanterns so imagine Mm -hmm. that shit you're going into ed gein's house in the night with flashlights and lanterns and you can't see shit because because this we're talking about these aren't the fucking lithium ion uh led flashlights that we have now that a small handheld flashlight is good all yellow yellow bulb flashlights oh they barely throw any light now you get you get one barely light of light you're looking for yeah so one of the sheriff's deputies bumps into something hanging from the ceiling and it swings and as he turns the flashlight on it he realizes that it is the headless corpse of bernice worden hanging upside down and gutted like a deer right and from there it only got worse they found human skull bowls about about uh four to six of them uh he had a pair ed Gein had a pair of skulls that decorated his bedposts that he slept in they found four rattan chairs that had the rattan seats removed and had been reupholstered with human skin uh, they found waste paper baskets made out of skin, lampshades, bracelets, some drums, uh, a few knife sheaths that he had made out of the skin. They found I mean, not for nothing, but he's a pretty crafty guy. <laughs> That's he, tough to do. He could right? have been in the Boy Scouts. <laughs> well, I'm just, I mean, he would have gotten his sewing merit badge for sure. Yeah, his leather his tanning badge. badge. Yeah. Um, Ed Gein had a nipple belt. He had collected enough nipples. I have a nipple belt. <laughs> <laughs> that he was able to string them together to make a belt. Um, Out in one of the outbuildings, they found a cauldron for boiling down bones, which uh, that part, I I got a lot of these facts from um, this book that I... Now, to to put this in context, though, before people start blasting us for not knowing enough about Ed Gein, he was also a grave robber. Right, right. He didn't kill all these people. So it's not like all of these people were dying at hands. He didn't kill all these people people he he robbed uh at least nine graves nine graves that he confessed to right. um and 
said, but the the only issue is, is people say that either he robbed more graves than he admitted, or he killed more people than he denied, because they said with the amount of material that they found inside the house, it was enough for a few more people than that. So they're not sure. Yeah, sure. No, I, right. yeah. Um, but I just wanted to make that clear that all of it wasn't just from him killing people. Right. A lot of it was from the grave robbing. And I got to give credit. A lot of these factoids uh, that I'm talking about, um, I picked up a great book off of Amazon called Behind the Horror, True Stories That Inspired Horror Movies by Dr. Lee Mellor. And um, it's a good book. Got a lot of good stuff in it. Um, but this particular, about this cauldron for boiling down the bones, I saw this in a documentary years ago. They found this cauldron in one of the, the sheds or, or one of the barns or whatever. And uh, it had very obviously been used for boiling the, the skin and the meat off of bones. And the problem is they knew that there was at least more than one person in there because I think they found like three femurs in it. Mm. So, I mean, right away, you know, hey. That's that's at least <laughs> one and a half people. <laughs> right. This, one and this, half. Is a, this is a femur ray. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a femur bone. A femur is a human thigh bone ray. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> this is Walter. Man, we have to do you know what? We gotta do the burbs. <laughs> I know we I know we're getting back into horror comedy, but like they're I'm sorry, not just Time out for a second on text change. Like, I've been thinking about this. We have to do we have to do a horror comedy episode. We can do horror. I'm not got, against horror comedies. But you how can you be? I said I'm not. I said birds, I'm not. The, I said, how can you not? Okay. So anyway, so there's just so many good ones to talk about. Um so all right, time in. Okay. Game on. Game um, on. So then, of course, they found uh, they they found boxes filled to the brim with noses and other appendages. Um, they f- they finally found Bernice Worden's head uh, stuffed between a couple of mattresses. Um, it had a nail driven into each ear, and then a string tied to each nail, so it looked like he had planned to hang it up somewhere uh, as a decoration. Oh, wow. yeah. And probably watch it decompose. Mm. Uh, but of course, the most infamously, and the part that really, truly, other than the decor of the Sawyer house, the part mm. that really inspires uh, the character of Leatherface is Ed Gein had his woman suit. Now, of course, this mm-hmm. was also part of the inspiration that they used for Buffalo Bill in Silence right. of the Lambs. Right. So... Ed Gein had actually fashioned a vest with breasts. Uh, he had leggings, thighs, and lower legs. And then he had interchangeable masks of different women's faces that he would put on. And apparently, one of his favorite things to do would be to put on the woman's suit and then go outside and frolic in the moonlight. Yowzer. Again, the real shit is scarier than the movies. 
Absolutely. Because even though Toby Hooper broke a lot of rules in making this movie, um, he still wanted to get it played. <laughs> and if at this time you had included all of this stuff, yeah, he had to tone it down. He had to tone down the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, imagine that. You're getting a watered-down... That's how fucked up Ed Dean was. Like... You're getting a watered-down massacre. Yep. Um, now, co-writer Kim Henkel had said that he also studied a serial killer by the name of Elmer Wayne Henley from Houston... Uh, that was a, a fellow who used to recruit victims for an older man. And uh, so they then they both, I guess, took part in these murders. Um, but the part that, that really interested Kim Henkel was the fact that uh, after this guy Henley was caught, um, he said, I did these crimes, and I'm going to stand up and take it like a man. <laughs> and the, uh, Kim Henkel he thought it was very interesting, this idea of this kind of bent morality. That here's a guy who's literally going around picking people up, picking up men, taking them back to this older man, and then they're like murdering them together. And yet, he's like, I'm going to do the right thing and take responsibility. You know, like, oh, that's... Right, it's very odd. That's the right thing? Yeah. That, very noble of you. Yeah. How how you know generous what? he had, he he came for you. He admitted it, guys. We just gotta let him go, <laughs> guys. We 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 gotta let him go. <laughs> I think he learned his lesson. You know he what? Learned his lesson. You know what? We're literally gonna we're gonna do the thing. We're gonna slap on the wrist. Give That's me your right. wrist. We're just gonna say <laughs> slap. <laughs> little little tippy tap. Slap. Little tippy tap. Now you can go. <laughs> 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 it's just a little tippy tap <laughs> just a little tippy tap on your wrist we're just gonna do a little tippy tap and then we're just gonna have a nice bowl of oreos now just little little oreos i don't even mind if they're crushed i like the crushed oreos just as much as i like the whole oreos and if i can have a nice tall glass of milk with them why that would just be divine now <laughs> now we're just gonna let you go right there you you don't even need to stick around. We're gonna we're gonna call you Cap. <laughs> <laughs> so um, all right, yeah, here we go. <laughs> uh, and then of course they took big inspiration from the fact Toby Hooper um, was. I mean, you're talking 1974. So you're talking. We are just sort of edging our way out of vietnam it's like we're we're kind of we're at the end yeah. <laughs> yeah we're on the on the on the way out there and um toby hooper was uh thought it was really crazy the fact that like because the news coverage at the time like you wouldn't even see that stuff on cnn now they were showing you in some cases like raw news footage from Vietnam, right. from embedded right. reporters. Yep. And, you know, Toby Hooper's like, what, apparently it's okay to see blood and guts on ABC at 8 p.m., you know, but but yet uh, this kind of stuff is, is happening everywhere. This kind of stuff could happen here. 
you know. But and then he was trying to get a PG rating, no? So like what? He, yeah, yeah, and that's the that's the kind of funny part is that he ever thought in a million years he was going to get PG. <laughs> and if you want, I don't know what he was watching. Like I get what he's saying. So the point is that he's making is you know um, with the well trying to go for PG is. Um, I'm not showing the actual hook going yeah. into the girl's back when I put her up. My I'm work is less showing, bloody than what's on nightly news. I'm not really showing Leatherface's chainsaw going through the leg. You're just, I'm implying it. So the guy's there, he's wiggling around, he's screaming, and Leatherface is there, and the chainsaw goes down. But you're not actually watching the chainsaw go into flesh. So where's the R? Yeah. Why why would it be rated R? Um so he was he was kind of going for a PG rating, but when you the way he directed it and the way it was edited it's horrifying. Oh, yeah. Like it is so horrifying. Could you imagine if this movie got a PG rating? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, come come to the drive-in and see the double feature of Bambi with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna put that one on first. <laughs> yep, yep. Let the let Bambi be the palate cleanser. <laughs> right, that's right. <laughs> we all need Bambi after yeah, that. Yeah, we all need Bambi. Yeah, bring on Thumper, please. <laughs> yep. Um, but not only that, but you're you're coming out of this time period where the government has been provably lying to the public. Uh, there's there's sure. an overall degeneration uh, to what's going on in American society. It's like the society right. Took a deep dive from the fifties, right? Yeah, the, the, or the Im- or at least the image of the fifties. The society that you know you thought we had doesn't exist. Right. Exactly. You know um, that it was all it was all a sham. Um. That I, I saw somebody put it really well. They they said that the movie is a statement about the dead end of the American experience. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And and we, we talked about it um you know before in a previous episode about automation and dying towns and people just struggling to put food on the table and and uh yeah, it's it's that American dream you know, just dead. Right. You know. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, I have, uh, in my notes here, victims of industrial capitalism, having their trade skills and individual value made obsolete by new technologies that are less expensive and need less support. You know, the classic phrase back in the eighties was you've been phased out. Right. And so then that leads to collapse of family unit units collapse of morality in the face of like the trauma of like what do we do now you know like now now the world has passed us by you know and it's like that classic thing you know when they when they put the new highway in over there all of a sudden they stop coming down through town now all the stores is closing you know, but yeah. and I put the the just because we're in Texas, I put the southern accent on it. But that shit it happens fucking everywhere. Oh, for sure. Every rural community from north to south, east to west, 
that shit has happened, you know, over time and time and time again. Well, it even happened, you know, in a in a way like where we grew up with Bethlehem Steel. Yeah. Going under. You yeah. Know. I mean, yeah, all, that, all of a, a lot of people lost their jobs. Yeah, yeah. everybody wonders what the hell are we going to do? What right. you know, what 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 do we yeah. do now? Where Good. do we go from here? And unfortunately, the Sawyer family's answer is we gonna get in the meat business. <laughs> well, right, we're gonna kill some people. So, right, but that's like that was one of the, uh, and I guess I'll make the point now, the that I wrote down. Like, all this family knows is slaughter. Right. That's all they know because that's the the grandpa did it. The sons did it. The, you know, the sons' sons did it. Like, and then they got, they, that, you know, the hitchhiker's generation got phased out. And so it's all they do. And with the slaughterhouse now being, you know, they lost their jobs. Automation comes in. Who's left to slaughter? What do they do now? You just said it. What do they do? Well, now we have to slaughter people. Yeah. They went, they, so it was like, it's not because they lost their jobs. Now they're killing people. They were murderous. They wanted, they were fascinated with death and slaughter. And that was in their blood. And that was in their family. That was ingrained in them. And they got their jollies by killing off the livestock. But now that they don't have that anymore, they have to slaughter something. Yeah. And that's and and that's the movie. Yeah, and and you know there is a parallel to be made with you know the fact that um, this is in a time period where we've just seen one of the most horrific wars, uh, you know, live on television. You know, and I say horrific not in not in the overall body count. There were there were bigger wars, but. This was the first time people sitting in their armchair on their couch at home saw the real cost mm. of the war, how it's paid yep. for, you know, with blood and and people and lives. Mm. And um, so you get this sense of what happens when you have a society who has had all these kind of noble ideas of who and what they are and what their society is based on and founded on. And then meanwhile, somewhere down to steal a phrase in the places you don't want to talk about, there's this core of killing that we actually survive on the backs of people who have to kill other people or anything, mm. animals or humans or otherwise. That mm -hmm. we live on the backs of people who are, their their only value is their skill to kill. Mm -hmm. And what happens sure. when they don't, you don't let them do that anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and they, they come home and what happens? Right. You know, and of course <laughs> we saw the effects of that post-Vietnam with all the homelessness and, you know, um, uh, unfortunately, you know, there, there weren't, there, there's still very little infrastructure built in for, uh, to help service members, uh, post conflicts 
or anything like that. But I mean, you know, if if our mental health system is weak now, it was fucking non-existent. <laughs> post oh yeah right now no you know? no 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 and they and it was an um yeah now it was an unpopular war so um you know the there's just the stress of that and then coming home and having no mental health uh yeah. avenue to to go down yeah yeah no no health no opportunities no future and so then you nope. begin to see a bit of a parallel between that situation and this family when left with what they believed were no outs and their whole sure. va- the whole value of their um their their worth of self is yeah. based on their ability to bash something's head in with a hammer mm-hmm. what the fuck do they do when that's gone right you know right. and this sure. fa- this family made the ultimate bad decision of let's be crazy psycho <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think they were. That was already kind of in yeah, there, probably. and maybe that was being held back by the fact that they could slaughter the livestock, so they could kind of get that urge out um, by killing livestock. But then you take that away from them, and then there's nothing left. Now they got to start slaughtering what what you know yeah. people. And there, there is the inference. Uh, it's never really stated, but. Um, the, the cast members who were the guys that were in the the Sawyer family, they acknowledged that they all were looking at this like we're inbreds. You know, this is this is a very isolated rural family that probably There's do- no one else doesn't around. have a lot of DNA like, uh, not, variety. Well, it's a, <laughs> a small, small, small town, right? Yeah. Super small. So but those towns existed. And they yep. um, they still exist. You know, there's towns of a few hundred, you know, or whatever. There were people uh, in in some of the the more rural outskirt, you know, towns. You went outside of, um, you know, the eastern area, and I straight up heard jokes about how like, yeah, everybody on this road has the same last name. <laughs> no. There okay. were well, there were some. <laughs> My uncle lived near some of them. <laughs> they yeah. all had the same last name. <laughs> gotcha. He's like well, this guy over here is one. That guy down over there is one. This guy up back over here is one. So, oh boy. yeah. So even in yeah. what would be normally like a built-up area, sometimes that that stuff lingers. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> yep. But in their situation, there's literally no one around. So, you know, you're going to, that's going to, not to be gross, but that's going to (laughs) happen. So, yeah, the, you know, the film, the film uh, comes out and uh, it gets banned at various times in countries from England, Brazil, Chile, Finland, France, Iceland, Ireland, Norway, Singapore, Sweden, and even uh, West Germany. For the kids out there, there used to be two Germanys, East and West. <laughs> for yeah, for a few decades there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was at various times uh, throughout the history of the film. It was banned in all those places, um, wow. and. Uh, horror filmmakers have admitted to being inspired by it. Wes Craven said it inspired The Hills Have Eyes. Uh, 
the Firefly trilogy from Rob Zombie. That's mm. inspired sure. by Texas Chainsaw Very Massacre. Much so. Very much and so. oddly enough, the movie Alien. Oh. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, the director of hmm. Alien says that that movie inspired him probably more than any other film in his crafting of the the movie Alien. Hmm. Now I think Already? I think what he's referring to is the style. Well, you mean Ridley Scott? Yeah, Ridley Scott. I think what he's referring okay. to is the style of the film. That that sort of um, like you're just an observer. Like, you know, those were the effects he tried to get. And not only that, but the, the, he, he then made the movie instead of making it about like military or some other kind of people, these are like, basically like space truckers, like they're haulers, you know, Mm -hmm. that's what the, that's what that group on the ship, you know, Tom Skerritt, Sigourney Weaver, um, uh, what's the, uh, what's the one guy's name? Don't don't make me. But, <laughs> I know. Uh, Don John Hurt. John Hurt. That's what they they are. They're they're basically um, freight haulers. That's what the Nostromo does. It hauls hauls freight across space, and and that's why then they're sent to investigate that. They're like the closest ship to investigate that uh, that signal, and the company wants them to go check it out, supposedly because they might be able to like scrap it. And like claim that you know, so these are like working class people on this high tech ship, and Ridley Scott kind of wanted to get that feel that these are just down, you know, these are like earthy guys. These aren't these aren't people that are like. It's like they have that argument at one point, like, "Well, I want overtime. I get overtime well, for that." Well, I mean, you can't you can't argue with inspiration. I mean, yeah, if, you know, if he says it inspired him and inspired him, which is fantastic, I just. It's I, a, maybe I I, I never <laughs> saw a correlation between the two, but you know whatever. Hey, again, if that inspired him, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You guys. Are you gonna start the movie, Kyle? <laughs> yeah, let's crank it up here. We'll start in the movie. Um, the first thing is we as we get into this, um. The the strange that sound that like that Polaroid sound. Oh, like what is that? Terrifying! Oh my god, it gets just it gets under your skin because you associate when the when the flash goes off and the and you just see the illuminated skulls and then it goes back to being yeah. dark again and then you know and. Then, <laughs> Oh, yeah, God. It, sound, yeah. it sounds like a Polaroid film camera. And I don't think Polaroid, I don't think the auto no, that was it. Polaroids no, weren't that was around it. yet, no, but it has no, that, that same, old... like for kids of our generations, like that's what it sounds like. It sounds like somebody taking snapshots of it's it. It's someone taking pictures. Yeah, it sounds so I weird. Always... Yeah, it well, it does, but it it just um, it's a sound that I just associate with with horror. Um, it's just that sound has just gotten un, like under my skin, you know, 
because of this movie. So I I think it's a great like open, you know, the way yeah. the way he did it. So. Yeah, and I mean the sound overall in the movie <clears throat> um the the I find that the sound is some of the most uh horrific parts of it. Um I, I'm not sure. I didn't see in any of the the little research that I did anybody talking about the the music or the background sounds or anything like there's that. There's no there's no score to this movie. Yeah, it's like this chaos of like it's, strange it's, things. We we talked about this because I obviously had a problem with the fact that The Exorcist didn't have a, any kind of like score to it, right? So when we talk about John Carpenter and using music to set up tension, you know, set up the scare or tension or whatever, but Toby Hooper doesn't do that here i think there isn't really that much of a score because he wants you to feel like you're standing there yeah and so if there's music playing that distracts you from you know the experience of being there look at this opening shot of this rotting corpse well and he he, it's just pulling away they hold so long on it they hold so long, but he's slowly pulling away, and the news report about grave robbing and stuff like that is playing over top of it. And it's like, it's you can tell it's it's the summer, it's hot, it's like it's a Texas summer again. You can feel the heat, the dust. It's so dry, the dust is just blowing. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 a fucked up shot. Like it really is. And um, this is the shot that when, when I saw this for the first time, I kind of knew this was going to be a great movie. Yeah. Yeah, and that's actually one of the things that uh, Edwin Neal talked about, The Hitchhiker, um, in the, the little documentary that I watched. They had a, this was a documentary from 1988, um, and he was talking about how those kind of natural elements... Uh, really affect the feel of the film. He said, because he's like, he's like, I've worked on other shows. I've worked on other films and stuff. And he goes, you know, you'd have like five guys pumping smoke or doing something off camera, trying, trying to get that same effect. And he goes, and here it's just the environment we were in and it's all happening by accident. Yeah, you know the dust is getting yep. kicked up, and you know so you're getting these visuals, and like yeah, Toby knew where you know he he had a feel of where to put the camera, but so much of it is just accidental. It just happened on a take, and they're like, oh my god, that was great. We're gonna print that. But they also could have filmed this in, you know, winter or whatever. You know, they could have done this in a time that was more um, um, just friendly, you know, to the actors or whatever. Um, we talked about, you know, with Halloween 4, right? You know, it's March in Utah and they're filming, you know, and it's supposed to be taking place in October. Right. So yeah. you can you can film it in different times of the year, but he filmed it. It's takes place in August. It's supposed to take place in August, and he filmed it in August. 
He, it's supposed to take well, place in Texas, and he filmed it. In, and he yeah, even builds sorry. it up. So he has he has that shot of the the corpse rotting, and then as they do the the cast credits, you know, then leading into the film after you get that that shot, he's got what looks like pictures of like lava and then the sun like the coronal bursts of the sun mm. you know mm. uh in, in in some kind of weird aspect where it's red and then you get just a shot of the sun you know beating down and then the dead armadillo baking in the sun on the roadway so everything it, it's it's totally on purpose that he's like, yes. it's hot. <laughs> yes. Like, you guys yes. need to understand how hot it is. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> exactly. And But this shot, like, you have um, uh, the guy who plays Kirk. Um, you see just the back. He's sweating through his shirt. Oh, yeah. yeah you see, there's a, big, there's a huge sweat stain on the back of his shirt. Yeah, they're, they're soaked. Um, poor Franklin goes right down the hill. <laughs> he rolls uh, down the hill. The... <laughs> well, okay, uh, man. I don't know. Are we're, we not we're laughing. We're not laughing at people. And come on, man, get yourself together. Jeez. No, I'm not. I wouldn't laugh if it was someone else. I'm laughing that it's Franklin. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so so he does. He makes. <laughs> He makes it a point that it's it, it is just super fucking hot. Yeah. Um, let me see. Now there there is a theme in this um, that that is then re- repeated in other films, and it's this idea of transgression. Like you guys are going someplace you shouldn't go. Like you really have. You know, you you really shouldn't have come here, or you really had no business being out here. Like you should have well, just stayed. Well, for them, it's it's not the place you remember. This right? Is, yeah, yeah. Know. It's like this this is this is a place where where you nice city kids shouldn't be. Right. You know. Right. It's funny because I made a note. You know um, that the the people in town are crazy. Like so, it's not just it's not just um, the family. You have people just sitting around, sitting in the back of the pickup, drinking, just getting plastered all day. There's nothing to do. These are there's nothing to in do. In this whole scene, these are all people that came down to the cemetery to see the grave robber stuff. Like right. they, that's the only reason they're at this cemetery. <laughs> Right, it's cause right. They're, they're down there having a little party. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's but what I mean is like it the 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 area is so down, and it's so depressed. It's a giant group of guys that have nothing to do. They have nothing to do, and they have nothing to do but drink their lives away, or just like just rot in the sun. Like yeah. that's all they're doing. And it's, and it's, it's very, so Toby Hooper, I think does that on purpose so that it's not, it's not just this isolated family that's fucked up. 
it's the town. The whole town has suffered, and they're just man. There's there's nothing to do, and they're just kind of starting to lose it. Yeah, and it, it, it's funny. Like I I live in a, a a rural area. I live in town, um, so it's not as rural as some places. You know, you go 15 minutes outside of where I live, but it's still rural. And so it's still like, uh, I remember a transformer fell off a a pole down here. A guy hit a pole with his truck and the transformer fell off and was laying in the road. Was I there or? No, no, but I told you about it. You you told me about it when I was down there. And everybody up and down the street was out on their porches Watching what was happening with that transformer and that guy's truck, Man. that yeah. became the thing of the day. Rocking on the front porch with the corn cob pipe, going ah. Uh, oh, everybody was get out that there. That transformer off the road. Everybody was out there, and this little suburban kid was right with him. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. There's, there's, well, there's something kind but, of peaceful about that. But that's that, that but... mentality of like, you know, oh, hey, something's happening. Let's go. Let's all go see it. Yeah. let's all well, gather around right. let's, let's all gather around as a community yeah. but, guys um, stand there with, with their suspenders on going now you right. gotta get that transformer back up on that pole how you plan to do that right, right. <laughs> um, you gonna need right. a cherry picker <laughs> right but I, I just think that this area is just you know in the movie is just so it's just so down and and there's there's just nothing to do there's no hope there's not their lives are going they are not going to get any better yeah and there's something very um real about that and there's something very um obviously upsetting about that and and that is this movie and and another note that i had was that this whole movie the town, kind of the automation stuff, and then obviously getting into when Leatherface finally shows up and everything. And this whole movie from beginning to end is unsettling and uncomfortable. The entire movie. You are just it's it's just the way he does it. It's different. It's it's different from Halloween, and it's different from Friday the Thirteenth, and it's different from Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, we talk about Freddie and Jason and Michael and the Mount Rushmore and the Big Three and the right, and a lot of people would put Leatherface on that Mount Rushmore. Yeah, he was technically first, but he's scary because his kill when he kills you. It's not, he's not, you know, bending you backwards in a bed. He's not ripping off your arm and sticking it up your ass. Like, he's not doing these kind of crazy funny, he's not smashing your head into a TV. You know what I mean? He's not doing these crazy things. He's slaughtering you like you're an animal. Yeah. He's slaughtering you like any other livestock, like any cow, like any pig. You are no different to him than a pig or a cow or a chicken or any of that. Yeah. And that is just so that's different. That's just so unsettling, you know? Yeah, definitely. And 
you know, like right now they, they picked up the Hitchhiker, which number one, I know it's 74 and all, but what the, like, picking up, especially this guy, what the hell were they thinking? That's number People one. People picked up hitchhikers back then, Kyle. <laughs> but number two. That's why the 80s movies, the, hitch, the Hitchhiker, the Hitcher, like all those movies came out. But number two, like to give you an idea, this, this guy reaches into his little pouch of who, like I think it's supposed to be like chipmunk fur <laughs> or something. Chipmunk Little, little stoned together chipmunks. And he pulls out his pictures and his pictures of are of all of the animals that he's killed and butchered. Right. That's what right. he's the most proud of. That's what he's proud of. That's that's he's showing their... them his resume. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I don't, I don't know where the um, he he didn't elucidate on where the birthmark thing came. He's got that big port wine stain birthmark that goes down half of his face uh, and i I'm always sure. thought it was yeah i was i always thought it was like a blood stain or whatever no no he called like, he, I, he said it was a birthmark it was a birthmark yeah oh well wow. so he's got the camera that's where you get the flashes in the beginning of the the film is mm-hmm. that it, it's implied that he's taking pictures of someone's taking pictures yeah stuff. right yeah Yep. Now, now this isn't a, I mean, it could be a Polaroid brand, but this isn't like the instant Polaroids like we had growing up. It is an instant camera. He does, he is able to pull them out and they will develop, but it's not like an automatic feed. It's like you have to actually pull the right. picture out of the right. camera and then yep. air it out and let it right. develop. Right. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, the hitchhiker is just, off the wall like to, the to hitchhikers me, off the wall yeah to me he, he's just this is my own personal he's scarier to, to me than we're gonna disagree the the scariest person in this movie to me is jim Seedow. oh because because he can pass he can pass for normal he can pass for normal <laughs> he's the guy that they're you know he's the normal guy in town hey come on and back we got some barbecue back there yep. you know come on in and well he's the captain spaulding sit, sit a spell <laughs> but then <laughs> it, you like you watch him unravel in the uh, in the movie and when he kind of has her tied up and in the front seat of the truck yeah right and he's just poking her and he's just laughing and he's just laughing and he's like maniacally laughing and you're t- and then he gets serious again and then he starts to laugh again and then you're just <laughs> seeing him go all over the place and you're just like this dude is like totally out of his mind like he's completely out of his mind you know and obviously leather faces they're all out of their minds but like there's something very yeah because he can kind of disguise it like the hitchhiker just comes off as crazy yeah immediately leatherface is wearing someone else's skin you know so right but jim sidow sidow man we gotta figure that one out but um he yeah he, he could just pass for normal but he's 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 one of the craziest you know of the family 
Yeah, and actually, uh, Jim Sidow was talking about how when they first started filming his scenes, because a lot of his uh, scenes are with Sally. Mm-hmm. And when they started filming the scenes, you know, they, they give him this stick, and he's supposed to hit her with the stick and beat her with the stick. And mm-hmm. he he wasn't like... He was a nice guy. He like... No. He, he he didn't he didn't want to hit her real hard with this because it was a real stick. Toby Hooper right. just hands him a real stick and goes, "Go ahead." <laughs> <laughs> and and Jeez. yeah, and uh, and he didn't want to do it. And then and they they're they're going cut cut. You got to hit her harder, <laughs> Jim. You got to hit her harder. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. You know. Oh my god. And finally, it got to the point. She's like, "Yeah, just hit me. Just hit me." <laughs> Yeah. you know Marilyn is telling him this just hit me right right and um they they did the take like eight times and by mm-hmm. the end of it like he realized like he actually realized okay if I don't really haul off on her a little bit or at least make it look really good I'm gonna have to keep hitting her yeah and so then he was like okay and I don't wanna... okay yeah. <laughs> it's a yep. and he's like she was black and blue by the time they uh-huh. were they were done with it and but he did say he goes there's a weird thing that happens um you because you're you're in your character Mm -hmm. and you're doing this and you start to give yourself over to it because you realize you gotta like get the shot right and and he's like so you start to enjoy what you're doing he's like you start to get into the the character of what you're portraying and um so the the hitchhiker said then there's the part where he beats him with the stick and he goes yeah he like cracked my skull with that thing <laughs> oh my god <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and he was like he the the uh the hitchhiker uh uh what was his name neil yeah edwin neil edwin neil yeah he said he's like he's asking toby he's like can't we can't we can't you get like a balsa like a balsa wood and just like paint yeah. it or something, make it look like it's a real hardwood stick. And he goes, right. no, 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 it's not going to look real enough. And Can we then, put a pad in my shirt or something? like. A and so they, they do the shot where he beats him, but he's beating him out in front of the truck with the mm-hmm. headlights shining at the camera. And he goes, so I see the, the film after the fact. And I realize that the whole damn thing was in silhouette and he could have used a fake stick. No. <laughs> He's like, you oh know, well. He's like, I have a skull fracture, and <laughs> here you don't even see the damn stick. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, definitely uh, the the cook. Like he 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 definitely. He's my favorite. He's because he's he passes for favorite. He passes for normally passes like some kind of you know funny roadside character. And um, you totally see, I mean, it's total inspiration for Captain Spaulding in House of a Thousand Corpses and those films. Like, sure. Yeah, he's running the roadside gas gasoline shack and he's real yep. personable, real funny, real, you know, real friendly. Like, you know, until you cross him and that that relationship turns into something else, right. you know, right, right. Yeah. And actually, Jim Sidow is a little scarier because, like, he's already actually really nuts. He's just right. 
hiding it the entire time. Whereas right. Cap- Captain Spaulding, you get the idea with him that there's a switch that flips. Because he's nice to the one guy. There's the, the one guy that's in there looking at all his... Uh, his magazines. Oh, and, that's his buddy. Yeah, that's his friend. Yeah, that's his buddy. Yeah. So he's all nice to that guy. He, you know, nothing's well, gonna. Well, he's. Yeah, I don't. He's a local. He's a local. He's a weirdo, you know. But but do serial killers kill everybody they know? Well, that's that's true. That's true. I mean, you know, uh, they have friends. You know, there there's a lot of serial killers that uh, ascribe to the the you don't shit where you eat mentality. that's right (laughs) so it's like yeah their neighbor their neighbors it's like hey tom you know how's it going yeah i'm not gonna hurt that dude no i don't want to get caught yeah that's too close to me that's geographically too close to me but that's right these kids i don't know from adam they don't mean who gives a shit (laughs) no i don't know their mom i don't know their dad i don't gotta answer to anybody if they disappeared i said nope they drove off and drove that way but it's funny because, you know, she mentions that her, um, oh, he said, that's our granddad's place. Uh, and he's like, oh, your granddaddy, huh? So, like, he knows that they're, like, at least have roots in town, but it doesn't save them. Well, and there also weird. is a little bit of a, um, you come across a rural mentality of, like, yeah, but you left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like you, you abandoned us. You abandoned the town. You oh, think you're better than me? Yeah. Oh, when yeah. when things hit the skids, y'all took off. Right. You know. Now you come back here sightseeing. I get it. Right. You know. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, you want to see where where your mama's cradle was? <laughs> you know, like. Right. Yep. Drive down here in your fancy VW bus. <laughs> I can own a VW bus if they open the damn slaughterhouse again. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> oh. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, so we, uh, just talking about that, I, I will say that uh, for as great a film as Toby Hooper made, he does break, like, the one cardinal rule. And uh, there's a cardinal rule that's usually agreed upon by most filmmakers and cast and crews. If somebody gets hurt during a take, oh, you use you the tape? use it. And yeah. he doesn't necessarily do that <laughs> the whole way through this. Like apparently, by the end of this shoot, um, they a lot of people were grumpy <laughs> because they were no, okay. they were actually getting like really hurt. And yeah. doing like multiple takes, like I talked about, like he's hitting her with the stick, like for eight takes. Yeah. And right. I got you. Yeah. And so the only, the only one where it actually applied and kind of skipping ahead towards the end. So there's the part where Leatherface falls on the ground and the chainsaw comes chainsaw down. Chainsaw cuts through his leg. Yeah. And cuts through his leg. So uh, Gunnar Hansen said that they had a steel sheath that they put around his leg underneath the pants. They then stuck a steak, a raw steak to the sheath. Oh, I thought it was chicken. Yeah. Okay. And then they stuck a blood bag on top of that. Ah, okay. Got it. Yeah. And so initially when they went to set up that shot, they said, okay, 
Gunner, you're going to lay down and then so-and-so is going to come over and we're going to get the close-up of the chainsaw and they're going to, they're going to operate the chainsaw. And Gunner Hansen vetoed that. He says, no, I operate the chainsaw. I'm doing it. So I Hell know yeah. if anything happens. That's right. <laughs> Fuck yeah. So he actually had I to lay... I agree with him 100%. Yes. <laughs> so he had to lay down thing. and he had to get the angle on the chainsaw. And he said, um, that chainsaw, that must have been a, a pretty fresh blade. He said it went through that stake a lot faster than anybody thought it would. And he goes, and so it went through it's the... It's a chainsaw. <laughs> he said it went through the stake, hit the steel sheath, and was running against the steel sheath. And the steel sheath got hot real quick. So when he felt the heat, he thought, yeah. oh my God, I cut into my leg. Yeah. And so he bolts upright and grabs at where he was cutting. And that's the take in the movie because Gunnar Hansen said he had a friend who was on set that day and watched that and watched the blood spurt and watched him jump up and grab his leg. And before Toby Hooper had a chance to say anything, his his it was a female friend. She yells from behind Toby Hooper, "That's a print!" Because <laughs> it freaked her out. She thought he cut himself. Yeah. And Toby Hooper looks back at her, and Gunnar Hansen say just turns around. He goes, "Yeah, yeah, that's a print." <laughs> yeah, that's a print. Yeah, sure. So that was the wow. uh, that was one of the few shots where somebody he thought uh, he he thought he hurt himself, and yeah. they were like, "Yeah, we're going to use that." That was really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for the most part, he breaks the rule. Like through the whole filming of the thing, people are getting hurt right. left and right. They're getting cut up. They're getting bruises. Uh, Marilyn uh, that plays Sally, she had uh, rope burns. The ropes were cutting into her skin when they have her tied yeah. down to the chair. Um, that was Edwin Neal was talking about. He's like, he's like filming that scene where they're like all like taunting her and she's screaming and getting more and more freaked out. And the old, uh, the grandpa's sucking on her fingers and acting like a baby and all this kind of stuff. He said, you, you get into a, it's just like with Jim Sidow. He's like, you get into a weird state where this all becomes really normal all of a sudden. And he goes, yeah. but then he's like, you look and you see the rope cutting her skin and he's like mm -hmm. this little voice pops up in the back of your head that goes maybe we ought to take a break yeah yeah <laughs> let's take five everybody yeah take five so there was a lot of if that, you got them a lot of that stuff going on um wow but yeah, and so I mean, there there is a question that you know Toby Hooper. You know, we talked about he filmed this in this like documentary guerrilla kind of style. Like he set up shots and stuff, but they all seem like you're you're right there in it, and it seems like almost as if they could be filmed by like a news camera in some instances. Um, mm. But meanwhile, he's got actors getting injured. Mm -hmm. He's got real decomp surrounding the actors like when they're in the house all the meat and all that wow. stuff you're talking it's 110 outside mm -hmm. it's getting up to 
115 to 150 sometimes when the lights are on inside the house. All right. In, in like the room where they're filming with all the lights beating down. Like people are having to leave the room to go into the 100 degree room to cool off. Right. Wow. So that's happening. And the, the, they had to go through multiple head cheeses because the head cheese kept just melting into a pile of rotting, oh, decomposing yeah. loop. Okay. They're, yep. they're, they're watching meat decompose in front of them, turn gray. They're watching no. flies come down. They're watching maggots growing. Um, they're, so, and then the smell people are like regularly getting overcome by the smell and having to go outside to heave their guts Mm-hmm. And then come back in. They also, they they didn't have enough money for changes of clothes for everybody. So you're getting the body odor. Uh, Gunnar Hansen said nobody would sit next to him because they were afraid if they laundered anything, they, they were afraid that it would get lost by the laundry mm-hmm. uh, or not look right in the next shot. So nothing he wore was washed at all ever. Oh, wow. (laughs) And so there's, yes, in one sense, it builds an environment, an atmosphere that puts the actors in a certain mindset. Mm -hmm. But also, (laughs) the question is, even on a limited budget, could he have done it? differently that would not have endangered the cast and crew no <sighs> you know um well you can't make an omelet without breaking tonight <laughs> i mean <laughs> probably uh, probably but i i do think um you know i i do think that filming it in in august in texas was was very important i really do i just feel like it it adds so much to the movie um so yeah i you know i and i get what you know not washing uh gunner hansen's clothes you know because of the the it might it might not have looked right in the next shot I I I get that. Um, hmm. Yeah. Um, hey, they all they all made it out, right? And they their sacrifice and their vomit and sweats <laughs> and you know blood, sweat and tears um, went into creating, you know, in my opinion, the fourth greatest horror movie of all time. <laughs> now there is something interesting so we're watching um the the two characters kind of like the one of the little love interests here i believe this yeah, is kirk kirk and pam right yeah yeah so kirk and pam they're they're approaching the the sawyer farm and they walk up and initially like it looks like any kind of, you know, 
it, it looks very uh, picturesque. There's a there's a sunflower field. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. the, the house from the outside has the appear. It's sort of like the house almost is a bit of a mirror of the cook. Because the house from the outside, it looks a little run down, but it looks like every standard nice Quaint white, little farmhouse. Yeah, nice mm-hmm. whitewashed farmhouse. Yep. Um, you would never know, looking at it from the outside, there's a, a little bench swing in the front. You would never know, looking at it from the outside, that this was a house of horrors. No. It is no. a wonderful illusion. There's only a couple of things that break the illusion a little bit. Being that it's a farm, but there's no farm equipment being... Like, there's no evidence that they've been farming. Right, right. <laughs> There's no livestock, <laughs> right? Right, um, right. There's a, a couple of things. First, there's, like, some cars that are camouflaged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And then he finds a tooth on the front yeah. porch, just chilling. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> An old tooth with a filling in it. And uh, very much reminds me of the Burbs. Again, the Burbs, like that front porch shot. That's the Mm -hmm. same front porch shot that they used in the Burbs when they walk up onto the Clopix porch. Yeah. Um, But And then they make this mistake. So Pam, Pam walks off disgusted by the tooth. And she's leaving Kirk to inquire within. Now this is this, this might is where be one of the most awful deaths. This is where the movie horror. turns. You've had the hitchhiker who freaks you out, but then he's gone. Okay. So so I want to just but I want to talk about this real quick. So he's he's calling into the house and he's calling through the screen door and then he opens it and he walks in. It's all quiet. Which you There's never do no in the country. Music but there's no music in this, is what I'm saying. It's quiet. And poor pig squealing. And he's just walking through, and there's pig squealing. And then when he walks up to uh, the doorway with the metal door, and Leatherface comes out and clocks him over the head with the hammer, Toby Hooper lets you hear the impact of the hammer onto the skull. Yeah. And and again, and he is killing him like you kill a cow. And there's just something and, and there's takes just two something hits. Ab- Yeah, and it's but there's just something about it's it's not stylized. No. It's just this like it's just presented. brutal it's just this really raw, really brutal death, like with no emotion attached to it. Because he's killing you like he's killing an animal. So Leatherface, there's no emotion there, yeah. nothing. He's not angry and killing you, right? He's he like, doesn't have. Oh, you're anger. in my, you're in my house. Oh, boom. You're an animal. <laughs> you're an animal. Boom. You're dead. And that's because that's again, that's all these people know. And that whole scene of him walking in and then Leatherface coming out and hitting him on the head with the hammer is just to me, it's just like. Every time I the scene comes on, like I stop and I just turn it up and I just watch the scene. I'm so laser focused on it because I think it's one of the best scenes of the the whole movie. Yeah. Well, and there's something to so that there's the hit, the initial crunch of the hit, and 
and then Kirk is flopping around on he's the floor. He's flopping around on the floor. Yeah. Because he's yep. totally brain damaged him. He didn't kill him on the first shot. So he has to take right. another hit. So to the Sawyer family, that would be that he did a bad thing. That's not a clean kill. Yeah. Right. They prefer clean yep. kills. Uh, you got to kill him on the first shot. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Um, but then he drags his body within the inner sanctum and then mm. slams that metal door shut. Right. And then the and then you're like, oh, fuck. And the idea that that, that metal door, it's like that entire back like uh, kitchen area is yeah. like Leatherface's domain. That is the slaughterhouse within the right. house. Right. Yes. And uh, then... Unfortunately, Pam, you know, hears some some strange noises comes in and she finds uh what I would refer to as the Gein room. Right. <laughs> it literally right. is. There's the skulls, there's animal bones and skulls, there's uh feathers just strewn about the floor and there's furniture made out of skin. And there's yeah. human parts mixed in with the animal yeah. parts. Yeah. Um, which gives because you, it doesn't matter, right? It, it goes that they're same all idea. Animals. They're all animals to them. Yep, everyone's an animal, and that's a baby's rib cage. I don't know if you realize that, but the one shot is a baby's rib cage hanging from that. Oh, there, there ain't man. nothing else that looks like a human rib cage, but it's really small. <laughs> it's really small. That is that's... supposed to be a baby's rib cage, I think, hanging from that mobile yeah this is yeah yeah and and the whole man, man this is the whole movie that's what yeah. i mean it's just like it's and it's so we talk about um and then she almost gets all out the, and he pulls her back in yep yeah yep she you she just gets out and it doesn't matter and then of course this is coming up is the next big one that everybody talks about where he then hangs her live on the meat hook. But you don't see the hook go in. Right. Everybody thinks they do because they're... The way, the way he shot it, it's just as horrifying because he just kind of slams her onto it. Like, yeah. his, boom. And there's she's that just kind of there. way that... There's that way that when he picks her up and he kind of puts her down, he stops his elbows, you know, like, real well, quick, they, like the hook was there. And they had and, a like an apparatus And you too. feel that. Yeah, they had an apparatus yeah. so that he could pull her yeah. down onto it uh, yeah. relatively safely. They actually, that's one part where they did recognize, because those are real meat hooks. So yeah. they did recognize, okay, this might not be cool to not have some safety on. So they right. actually spun her meat hook around to face the wall. And yeah. so then sh they, they fashioned, and it sounds so ghetto when they described it. They fashioned a harness out of nylons that would be able to fit under her short shorts and not be, like, distinguished. Right. And then it had a wire, like a heavy gauge wire, uh, basically like loop, like, a, like a, a pole and a loop that went up her back unseen by the camera. So then he just had to get her up and it's kind of slightly obscured the way they shot it because there's a guy back there 
like out of the exposed frame and he's making sure the loop gets over the hook. Yeah. And so once he gets it up over the hook, then Gunner just lets her body weight take it. Mm-hmm. And that's And that and that's how you feel that that hook go in. Yeah. Right? You don't see it, but you feel it because of the way that he shot it. Yeah. Right. Pretty cool. Right. And Creative. Yeah, and I've all yeah, I mean they they did that. They were able to achieve that. I, I call it ghetto, but I mean that's actually one of the more impressive things about the film is they were able to achieve that effect mm. with very simple equipment on a shoestring mm-hmm. budget. That's mm-hmm. that's good. That's good horror filmmaking when you can make something that effective and still be cheap and still be safe. That's good stuff. And and just as effective, you know, like it. it there's just something the the way that he shot it that that I don't know that you shoot it another way even if you shoot it with the way that gore is done now like where it actually you see it go in I think it's just as effective like you don't need to see the hook go in yeah because everybody knows like your brain fills in the blanks exactly exactly there, there are people right. that swear up and down that you see the hook go in but when yeah. you watch yep. it you don't you don't, you don't see that. You see the effect of her being Correct. hung up, you know, in that right. way. Um, yep. And your brain fills it in. Um, oddly enough, it's it's funny. I've, I've also, um, in the past, not recently, but in the past, I've heard people talk about, oh, but you couldn't hang somebody like that. And um, I hate to tell you, but you absolutely can. Because mm. uh, literally it was done like, Back in like um, you're talking like Spanish Inquisition, medieval era, they would hang people from hooks, and as long yeah. as you get the hook up under the person's rib cage from the back, it'll hang. Yep, you'll hang there indefinitely. Yep, yep. You know, it's using the body's natural structure to keep you up. You know, right. um, makes it very hard to to fucking breathe if you don't die of the blood loss first. You you will start to feel stuff. Like you're suffocating, because I would it, think so. It doesn't yeah. the the weight of the body on the ribs doesn't allow the it's just like being crucified. It doesn't allow right. the expansion and contraction of the rib cage. So at some point you start to not be able to take more breath. Big, right. So if you don't wow. suffocate, you bleed to death. If you don't bleed to death, you suffocate. Thanks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So, little lesson. Little pretty <laughs> hardcore. Pretty hardcore. Yep. This is what kept me out of the good schools. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. So let's uh, let's discuss Leatherface's motivation. <laughs> what's what's going on there? What's 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 the deal with Leatherface? What's what's up in that in that noggin? Do you think it's any different from what we were talking about? I mean, he's obviously he's very simple, right? So like uh, Gunnar Hansen talked about um, when Jim Sidow's yelling at him, you know, in the movie that and they're kind of he's making the noises that he was at first. He was kind of speaking words. And Toby Hooper's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, it doesn't work. It didn't work. You're you're being too articulate. Like you have to dumb it down. Like he's simple. There's no 
he's not he doesn't really communicate you know he doesn't really talk yeah he, so he, he, pl- to, he plays him like he has either a developmental mm-hmm. or an intellectual disability it could yeah right because possible inbreeding or whatever or abuse you know when he or was abuse little. or whatever yep so um so yeah so i think that it's Leatherface's motivation is to just live up to um, his father. Really? That that's really what he's doing. He's just trying to do what his father wants him to do. So he doesn't get beaten. Well, I think, you it's know, in- and all he, and, and then maybe deep down, maybe he is taking out some of that anger, you know, um, through the, you know, the killing and everything. But, um, but and then again, coupled with the fact that that's what this family knows, it's in it's intertwined with this family. Every member of this family slaughters. You know they 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 all do, um, and they've all done it. And they oh man, I'm sorry, that is the scariest. <laughs> what oh you, man, uh, yeah, we're, I, we're watching the part where he he opens. I looked up at the wrong time. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, the the uh, the one character I forget his name. Um, well, Pam's in the freezer. Yeah, Pam's in the freezer, and it's got to be what Jerry, right? Yeah, Jerry. Yeah. Jerry. Jerry finally makes his way to the house, and he checks the freezer. <laughs> And Pam is in there, and if she appears dead, and then all of a sudden her eyes pop open, she starts like flopping and twitching. like shaking and twitching. Yeah. And then yep. uh, Leatherface comes in and brains Jerry and shoves Pam back in the freezer. And then right. there's probably one of the most interesting moments of the whole thing. It's Leatherface sitting next to the window, and he is looking like. Oh man, I'm going to be in so much trouble. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Because of his father. Yeah. It's literally like a weird leave it to beaver moment that Leatherface has where he's like, oh, gee. <laughs> yeah. I really but screwed he, up. But I think he also has that, that compulsion to, to kill. And, and so I think that it, you know, those two things combined are, behind Leatherface's motivation, as you call it. Well, and and I think that, that you're right about... Um, I think you're onto something with the idea that he is trying to be what he believes he is expected to be. Right. And um, in that way, I think that it's kind of then interesting because just like with Ed Gein, like Ed Gein literally had like investigated um, about, he he had looked into sex change operations and uh, things like that. And um, because he literally, you're talking about somebody who was intellectually stunted Mm-hmm. Probably in some ways developmentally dis, uh, developmentally stunted because of the effect that his mother had with her kind of abusive uh, purveyance of religion on her children. You know, being mm-hmm. so strict with it, making them feel like they were sinful for everything that they did. Um, so, 
Ed Gein is trying to uh, to get a little heady with it. He's trying to transform. He's trying mm-hmm. to become something else. And because he feels that it would go against what he was taught to be or what he's expected to be, it begins to come out in negative ways. Mm. And so because like, even though he would maybe want to have a sex change, the horror of what that would mean, like even when, even after his mother dies, like, well, I could never do that because, you know, mama says that's sinful, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So it begins to come out in these different strange ways, you know, as as he mentally unravels. And so you got Leatherface who's modeled after that. And so you have him, he's expected to be a certain thing. He's expected to be a certain way, but then he feels the need to put on because all the faces are actually women's faces. Like they, they don't really get into it. Like one face, he wears makeup Mm -hmm. and because, because that's his, that's his, um, that's his fancy face. That's his fancy face. That's it. That's his, we're having people over face. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's his best suit. Yeah. Yeah. That's his best face. And so, but the other, all the faces are female faces. Mm Um, and so that's sort of his, he's taking on, like they talk about how he's the one who is in the kitchen and he takes on, he's even, he even wears a uh, mother's apron mm-hmm. and he's like, he's taking on that feminine role that he wishes he could be. Mm-hmm. But then meanwhile, through action he's expected to be something else like he's expected to be this cold-blooded killer like we see it later time in in other iterations in the sequels and things you can you see where leatherface maybe doesn't really want to kill everybody mm-hmm. you know maybe he would like a friend but meanwhile or a cousin but but meanwhile it's that that um imperative that's been beaten into him by his family that no you this is what you do yeah this is what you do and so then through that dysfunction in his own brain it's filtered through and comes out in this like psychotic murderous format you know but then meanwhile he he really just wishes he could be like mom you know but mm-hmm. of course, mom was probably a weird inbred psychotic. <laughs> I would think so. I but, would think so. But maybe mom was the nicest person he knew, you know, out of the whole family. Sure. To him. To him, yeah. She might have been the nicest to him at the over everybody. And once right. she's gone, all he can do is want to be like her. Right. So I don't know. I, th- I just thought that was interesting to kind of think about that, you know, all the... I mean, that's some complex... Shit, you know, we're not... I, I didn't get no psychology degree. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is my my Criminal Minds watching. <laughs> you know, watching every season of Criminal Minds. That's my uh, my armchair take on, uh, on our pal Leatherface. Well, 
Um, I think there's something to that, though. So, yeah, I think you're you're on the right track. We talk about this in movies all the time, too. Um, oh, she does. She does. The she jumped right out the window thing. She does possible. it twice in the movie, right? She does it at the end, too, right? That's yeah. how she gets out and runs down the road. She just jumps right out the window. So, <clears throat> but um, she does, yeah, she does the smart thing and uh, just jumps right out the window. Um, but one of the other funny things is that I read about was Gunnar Hansen is actually apparently a lot faster than Marilyn Burns. Yeah. And so that's why he keeps having to stop during these chase scenes through the woods. He's stopping. He's like chopping. He's going through the twigs and stuff like that and looking, uh, making it look like he's trying to like cut his way through the woods. Um, that was him improvising so that Marilyn Burns could get further ahead of him because he kept catching up to her. Well, yeah. And I, I think Marilyn was, um, she was kind of slow anyway, because Edwin Neal also, uh, was, you know, supposed to just like uh, run up and kind of doing this zigzag. Yeah. Yeah. Her, trying to right, make it look driveway. like, yeah. Right, so he exactly. turned, well, that's the thing. He turned it into, as he's chasing her down the road, he was supposed to like, just be running up, trying to grab her, but he caught yeah. up to her so fast. He then like turned it into like a thing of, Oh, well, instead of like grabbing her and catching her, like, let's make it, well, the, the hitchhiker wants to cut her up. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut her to ribbons as she's trying to get away. Like now he's toying with her, so he turned right. it into something. But it's because right. apparently everybody could catch her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So anyway, so kind of getting down to the end of like my notes, like the things I was thinking about as I was going over this. Um. You know, do we sometimes, do you think we live in denial that people like this, maybe not to this extreme, although in some cases, yes. Um, Do you think sometimes we like to live in denial that people like this exist in America today? We, yeah, I I think um, it's, it's hard. It's too horrifying to think about. So you don't want to think about the fact that this that this goes on and 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 it's it's only when you know someone like btk or jeffrey dahmer ted bundy or john wayne gacy or you name them um gets caught you know and and then the news reports of the uh, of their crimes kind of comes out and you're 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 it's in your face now so you're kind of reading about it and it's horrifying and so you don't want to hear about that anymore like you yeah uh, absolutely society tries to um you know just yeah kind of deny that this even exists or they don't want to deal with it they just want to they want to feel comfortable in their in their in their homes and everything so uh absolutely and i think sometimes we like to think that well it only happens in like weird outskirts has to be rural well Right, but that's when that's why John Carpenter made put it right in right. your neighborhood, you know. Because I mean, hell, Jeffrey Dahmer lived in an apartment building, and was yeah. was melting dudes in a fifty gallon drum of acid in his right, apartment. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right, right exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I know they're they're not all Dexter guys, <laughs> right? <laughs> they're, right, they're, they're right. not all they're not all the most intelligent guys that ever existed. Well, they're also <laughs> only not killing bad people. Yeah. 
Like you're just as big of a target. Like, yeah. You know. Yeah. So, so you know, I mean, they're they're not all doing it in the the smartest way. These guys have strange compulsions that most of us can't understand mm-hmm. that drive them to do nope. things. And you know what? If the neighbors smell something weird, that comes with the job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're not all committing the perfect crimes. Right. You know. The, the majority of, of the people get away with it because usually it's because of the targets that they pick. The targets that they mm-hmm. pick are people who are also on the outskirts of society that sure. aren't either readily missed or don't get looked for right away. Um, right. You know, and, and very similar to what's going on here. It's a bunch of kids on a road trip. Nobody really knows where the hell they went. You know, it's not like they, like, announced their plans to anybody or anything. It's like they just decided, hey, on this weekend, let's go do this. And, you know, then they run into a family full of psychotics. You know, murderous psychotic, cannibal psychotics. Let's talk about the uh, that last shot. Well, there's two last shots, I should say. The first Mm -hmm. is Sally's escape in the back of the pickup truck. Yep. And the laugh. The screaming that turns into a laugh, like that—that that was a fucking it. amazing choice. Yes, it was. Like hundred percent. You know, it's like I—I don't—I want to say it probably was Toby Hooper's choice, but yeah. whoever's choice it was, awesome. Like right. That that's you know to show like literally that's like what you normally would see in like a like a Cthulhu Lovecraftian style film is somebody so so horrified terrified that they've literally psychologically have broken and tur- it turns into the you know the laugh of someone who's lost their mind right and yeah. here that's Sally at the end of this film right. Like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, we get the dance of the leather face. <laughs> it's such a, an odd thing. It's such an, right? Isn't it? Well, some people um, have looked at it as but triumph. It's, like, it's beautiful. It's like a horror ballet. I love <laughs> it. Like, I wish it would just go on. And on and on. <laughs> some people read it as like some kind of weird triumph, but I think honestly, if you take if if you really take into consideration just what's happened, it's his frustration, his yeah. frustration that she got away. You know, he is yeah. he is literally it's it's his rage personified in he he wants to like if he he if he could he would just cut up the world. Right. You yeah. I mean, hundred percent. And um, it's, uh, but the way it was shot. Yeah. It's just this it, great shot. It's. Uh, I yeah. don't know how. I don't know why. I, because it's. It's just, not triumphant, you know, but it is glorious. Right. <laughs> it has a a level of glory to it <laughs> yeah it does and and i actually i fast forwarded it so i'm watching it right now where she's laughing she's in the back of the truck covered in blood doing, just caked in blood doing, just caked in blood and um and he's doing the he's doing the dance of the leather face and um 
I mean, it's the sun in the background, the sun glare, and like, yeah, man, this is a masterpiece. I just love this movie so much. It's, and then it just stops. Yeah, it just. Yeah. He's doing it, and. But yeah, so I mean, let us let us know what you think. Let us know what you think of our take on it. Uh, you can write us at nosferadudes at gmail dot com. Uh, let us know. You know. Uh, do you think that, I mean, we, we went, you know, kind of, uh, balls deep on this thing. Do you think that we did go balls deep? <laughs> do you think that, uh, our takes on it are, you know, uh, have any kind of value? Do you think they resonate? <laughs> do they have any value? <laughs> any value? We don't Come know. On. We don't know if, <laughs> if our opinions count for anything. Oh um, my goodness. But and, and let us know uh, if you like any of the films in the franchise better than this or maybe where this ranks for you. Um, you can go ahead and write to us. Nosferadudes at gmail.com. On that note, from me. And me. Thanks for listening. And remember, the broadcast is coming from inside the house. Wee! Wee! <laughs> oh, wow! Good night.